power comes from the people when you recognize it's not us against each other, but it's us against those systems, those structures. And you know what? We can create our own, whether that is our own communities, our own little tribes, or whether that is uh, ways of thinking that are individual, unique, outside of the box, and changing paradigms of of your own life and of your own self rather than staying in the stagnancy of trauma going, how has that trauma shaped me and made me stronger and use that as a tool for healing and empowerment rather than walking through life with an open wound and bleeding over everybody who never cut you. Like that doesn't get you anywhere. It just makes you angry and resentful of the world rather than being more engaged in that collective human experience. special co-presentation of the documental Mapping the American States of Mind and News from the Unsold Universe podcasts. I'm your host and producer, Whitney McKnight in Missoula, Montana. My guest on this episode is astrologer Cassandra Tyndall, and we're going to be speaking about whether we're entering an age of feudalism or if we never left it. (laughs) But first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Cassandra. Cass's fascination with the stars and magazine horoscopes as a teenager led her to become a full-time astrologer. And that's something she's done professionally now for almost 20 years. Cass hails from Australia, but she consults with clients from around the world. She has an online astrology school, as well as a thriving online astrological community. It's known as the Golden Circle. Cass also travels often to the U.S. to teach and lecture on astrology, and you'll find her astrological writings published in various media, both down under and in the U.S., which is why I am certain many of our listeners, both here in the U.S. and in Oz, are already are already familiar with Cass, who tells me that when she does not have her head in the stars, she's in the gym or with her favorite human, her son. What I like most about Cass is her passionate, frank insight. And so I am so pleased to welcome Cassandra Tyndall. Hello. Thanks for having me, Whitney. It's fun. Fun to be here. I I appreciate that. I think we're going to have a juicy conversation. So what I I knew as soon as you accepted my invitation, I was what I'm hoping to do with these podcasts is spark my respective newsletter audiences, both I have a policy oriented one, um, which does not probably know much about astrology or if they know much if anything at all about astrology don't feel as passionate about that as they do about things to do around politics and democracy and so forth but I do have a hardcore astrology audience as well and kind of in that sweet spot I'm looking to help both of my audiences think more critically about what I just consider to be nonsense fed to them by corporate media and other organs of propaganda And to start to see the world through the lens of their own powers of observation, which is actually how astrology eventually became the foundation for astronomy, just by watching things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so welcome. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, I've I've kind of covered the basics of your, uh, your background. Um, 
But what caught my attention and wanted and made me want to have you come talk to my audience was this perspective that you have on the coming age of Pluto and Aquarius. And um, so we're going to get to that. But I thought if I could ask you your perspective on what mundane astrology is, remembering that we have a range of astrological knowledge listening. Now, some people are already familiar with what mundane astrology is and how it helps us view history and predict general currents. And other people are probably mystified by the idea. But generally what we're doing is we're talking about what's to come in the future for the world. So, um, you know, any thoughts on that? Is there a way that maybe I can frame this before we get into this conversation? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Mundane astrology, in short, is just sort of the astrology of countries. Um, It's the astrology of sort of larger scale cycles historically. Um, You know, we can look at different cycles, uh, like we would maybe look at personal cycles you know, for, depending on what star sign we are, for example, we might look at cycles for a country because they are, you know, they might hold a Aquarian signature or a Capricorn signature or what have you. So basically it's the uh, astrology of countries. Right. And we are going to be talking about um, how the no longer considered by astronomers planet Pluto <laughs> <laughs> is actually helping us to zero in on massive changes in the way that um, that all countries actually govern their citizens. Um, the fact that Pluto is no longer considered a planet is actually irrelevant to astrologers because we're not talking about the um, we're not talking about the physics. We're talking about the archetypal representation of right. Pluto. Yeah. Yeah. So from my perspective and certainly chime in and um, amplify if, if I don't give enough information from my um, understanding of Pluto, when I speak to my clients about Pluto or when I talk about it in my podcast with my co-host on um, off the charts, my co-host being Elizabeth Grace, um, Pluto is extremes. Pluto is um, depth. The, like the, And usually it's, it's hellacious depth. <laughs> Go to hell and then keep going. Um, but in the end, it's purgative. So whatever comes up from going so far down into the deep um, ultimately brings you further ahead because it got rid of the gunk. So, you know, when when we talk about Pluto, people should be thinking in terms of what is really extreme. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I certainly would agree with that. I mean, to, to talk about what you first mentioned about Pluto technically not being a planet. I remember when uh, Pluto received that demotion, I was like, yay, <laughs> I didn't have to, I could just delete that from my chart. But I mean, anyone, anyone who knows um, anything about astrology, and even if you don't, if you can think of you know, the shittest time you've ever had in your life, um, <laughs> it was, you could probably pinpoint that to a particular Pluto cycle. So, you know, whatever the uh, uh, quote unquote experts of the day want to call that, uh, it doesn't change the fact that it exists. Um, right. And its existence does uh, emanate a certain energy into our lives in, in different ways and in different points in time. Now, from a mundane astrological perspective, Pluto is a very helpful planet to observe because 
because of its, you know, unimaginable distance, the time it takes to transit a sign will encapsulate uh, a long period of time. So uh, like the shortest period of time is uh, while it transits Scorpio, which happened in sort of the 80s, 90s, and that's usually around sort of uh, 10 years, let's just say, and it can go up to around sort of 30 when it's in Taurus. And that's one of the reasons why it got that demotion because it's Pluto, uh, its transit is elliptical, so it can go inside the orbit of Neptune. So it does behave differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so from its you know, physiological standpoint and the way it, it transits uh, in its orbit is different. So, yep, it's a different category. Uh, however, uh, in real time, it doesn't work that way. And so when it captures, because it spends so long in a sign, it will capture generations born mm-hmm. into it, right? And so I'm sure even uh, the listeners who are not into astrology are like, what are they harping on about? You know, we're all familiar <laughs> with terms of such as uh, baby boomers, the Gen Xers, uh, the millennials, the Zoomers, you know, they're all loosely configured with these different Pluto uh, in a particular sign configurations. And so a lot of what we are moving into in this current period of time is the uh, iteration of Pluto moving into a new sign, which is Aquarius, where it hasn't been in you know, 250 years or so. Um, and sort of demarcates that shifting of the guard from some things that, you know, started in 2008, for example. So we're sort of winding up that smaller micro cycle uh, from 2008, but also has a a throwback as such to this period of time uh, around 250 years ago. Thank you for that. Exactly. And then, so so if people are more specifically want to think about, well, okay, so what are you actually saying? What we're saying then is, is that Pluto entering Capricorn in 2008, Capricorn being to astrologers, the, um, the astrological sign for the powers that be kind of structure among many things, but yeah, they're just like to, to do this in the cliff notes style and kind of flashcard style. It's the powers that be, and it's uh, top down. It can be considered yeah. top down. And, you know, I have a strong Capricorn signature in my chart, which for, for whatever purpose it, tell, it uh, serves to tell people that I'm familiar with Capricorn energies. Yeah, Capricorn is sort of, um, you know, it is it's the idea of sort of empire and building um, authority and the rules and structures of, say, you know, government, what have you. Um, and when you think about how, Pluto creates these broader brushstrokes of, you know, of generations and the archetype that sort of um, emits from each sort of generational signature. Um, I've thought about this a lot and I remember sort of the 95 to 2008 period when Pluto was in Sagittarius. Uh, one of the big dreams people had, you know, the, the option of being a digital nomad was a very viable prospect you know in that period of time so you had that freedom of movement you had that you know ability to travel of course there was other things that came along with with you know that era of time as well and then of course um you know I remember the goal being you know going to Thailand for six months working from there never seeing winter again like a lot of people (laughs) had that dream maybe for you guys it was uh Costa Rica or Mexico or something like that 
And then, of course, 2008 happened, obviously GFC, lots of, you know, financial stuff happened with that as well. And then it really became the dominating force was this CEO energy, big Mm -hmm. corporations, you know, big government, big pharma, you know, all of that type of big stuff. And that's the thing that Pluto can do. So when it's in a sign, it can make some things, when you were mentioning extremes before, it can make some things really small, like microscopic, and you can enlarge it up. And it can make really big things seem really insignificant. So um, there's plenty to to nut that out with. But uh, what we're moving into in this period of time is Saturn's second iteration with Aquarius. So because Saturn in Capricorn and then Saturn also rules Aquarius. So Pluto's going through with that second Saturn iteration um, because it's it you know, Sat, uh, Capricorn and Aquarius are both ruled by Saturn, so that's the only uh, sign in the zodiac or the signs in the zodiac that Saturn rules concurrently. So it's a very big Saturn in Saturn Pluto type of period that we're in. But just so that my audience who are not familiar with astrology understands why it would matter to bring up Saturn into this is because Saturn is the planet that astrologers look to for information about um, boundaries. Because uh, until we had Galileo's telescope, Saturn was the last of the planets that we could see with the naked eye. And so it became symbolically that of the the perimeter. And Saturn moving, Saturn ruling Capricorn, as we say, and Saturn ruling Aquarius, we're talking about... um, things that hold things together. So we are talking about structures. So you were just, you were talking about the shift from Pluto in the Capricorn ruled sign or the Saturn ruled sign of Capricorn that is about empires top down, et cetera. And now we're moving into a new type of structure. So anyhow, I'm sorry to have stopped you, but I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. So that's, you know, sort of going from this, as you said, this, you know, top down, almost like a pyramid thing. Um, And now we're moving into this period where, we go from very earth-based structure. You know, Pluto also really speaks to the idea of wealth. It's a very key wealth signature because of its um, mythology behind, you know, Hades and the god of the underworld. And much of what the world's resources stem from are those, what we mine from the earth. And that's where a lot of the, you know, big money stems from. And so now with Pluto in Aquarius, we've seen this historically. It brings a very strong period of decentralization. Okay. So um, as an example of that, the last time oh, uh, we had one of the, uh, sorry, one of the last times when we had Pluto in Aquarius uh, was around the time that the printing press was um, sort of invented and people could Uh, get their hands on written information. Back in that period of time, uh, obviously there was a little bit of a um, literacy issue. Not everyone could read or write, but it was that more available dissemination of information. Um, And we have that now. Like a lot of people, everyone has a mobile phone nowadays. Um, doesn't you know mean that they're educating themselves they're watching cat videos or something or other so there's still that idea of just because you've got the information doesn't mean you can utilize it but the idea here is that Pluto in Aquarius is going to bring some themes of sort of change transformation and disruption 
around information, the way information is disseminated, and who has access to that. Right. Going back to your theme about the microscopic and the macroscopic, you know, the big making small, being made small and the small being made big, why this is so profound right now and and why you've been commenting on it and why so many people are interested in it is because um, it's it's the era of transforming those structures. We're right on that kind of precipice of, well, are we going to continue to have everything be so big that the individual does not have any agency, which is what's happened in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, and as an aside, that was actually where I entered into this whole fascination at a deeper level with astrology is, is that I began writing about something I saw as a reporter who used to work in the mental health field and cover psychiatry and so forth. But I ended up my career working in uh, covering healthcare economics. And as I looked back at my career and saw, wait, I've been in the healthcare field for about 30 years. And I've noticed that the more corporate power grew, seemed to parallel the rise in mental anguish. So depression, anxiety, suicide, et cetera. And I never could, I never did actually set out to show causation because that's just not, I'm not equipped for that. I'm not a scientist and I didn't go grant making and all that, but I was with documental, the newsletter, I was looking to show they may not be causative, but they sure do seem to be correlative. You can see how the bigger corporations get, the more we create public policies that deliver power to big entities the more crushed and without agency and ultimately hopeless the individual feels. So that uh, it's exactly right. It's like, it comes to that point of a, a mass saturation. Like it mm-hmm. can't go any further. I can't remember where I heard it recently, but I heard um, the idea of when the motor vehicle was invented and it was this brilliant technology that people could move uh, further and quicker um, you didn't have to stop and water the horses anymore, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So it's pretty good. Um, and, you just have to put gas in. <laughs> well, or charge it up. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, it was this great technology and then it got to that sort of saturation point where you try to go anywhere in a city right now during peak hour or what you guys would call rush hour and it's actually probably um, a detriment to the the time benefit that it once gave you because there's now a volume of cars. It's too much on the mm-hmm. road. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like these structures of um, s- centralised power are just so big now that it's, you know, they've got to explode. There's always that sort of end point to the right. limits of, you know, which is also Capricorn's ruled by Saturn, you know, the idea of the limit, like how big can something get before it busts, you know. And that's where we are. Yeah, totally. Um, You know, how much more materialism or consumerism or um, just endless consumption of resources can be had until the human spirit and soul is kind of crushed under that weight of endless productivity you know that profit before prosperity uh, it works but we've hit that uh critical mass where it just can't go any further any anymore like it is at that limit um and that's kind of where we're at now yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously it's been building for a long time you at know, least 20 years <laughs> totally right um and 
you know, now we're at that point where um, power is what power does and it's like the Lion King, right? Having Scar would rather rule over ruins than, you know, hand the baton onto Simba, the rightful <laughs> the rightful ruler of the kingdom, um, ruling over ruins as opposed to just letting your star set and, you know, hand the baton on to the next generation to fix it. And we do see, we're seeing that and the Pluto cycles of generations really feed into sort of what's happening at the moment in that way. Which brings me back to why antitrust, which was where I I ended my reporting career, led me actually to really appreciate mundane astrology is because, oh, there's hope after all, because look, there are cycles. We can see how this will generate a new, a new something. So there's that, you know, what is it? Mark Twain, who said, history doesn't repeat, but it quotes itself. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are at the precipice of Pluto entering Aquarius. We've set the stage for our listeners here. Well, what does that mean? What does the transition from Capricorn to Aquarius mean? Briefly speaking, and certainly, again, amplify where uh, you think necessary, Aquarius tends to be viewed as the the people's sign, the humanitarian sign, the sign of um, um, individual power, but also, I guess I look at it this way, because it is a Saturn ruled sign. So we are going to be talking about structures, limits, um, some kind of armature, it's the innovation of the old. So we're still looking for structure, but we're going to do it in a way that is not about top down, but is more about um, equality, which is why when you a couple of well, several months ago now released this video where you said, I am looking at this way of Pluto moving into Aquarius as being the return of feudalism. That's running against what everyone else is saying. Let me, let me investigate this. So whereas so many of our, of our, colleagues are saying this is the power of the people and you know I'm one of them and this is actually to be candid I'm very optimistic about where we're headed because I see us as never having really left feudalism um I I think of capitalism as just a you know lipstick on a pig and the pig being feudalism and it never really went away I would love for you to explain to our the audience here what it is that you're actually seeing keeping in mind that you know we've talked about the Gutenberg press so like the 1400s you you've you've mentioned as a time where people we had Pluto in Aquarius and people were able to access information but the most recent time that Pluto was in Aquarius was um the late 1700s yeah. Okay. We're going to start with uh, Pluto in Aquarius. I, when we had the grand conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius in late 2020, sort of the um, the sort of prelude to to this larger cycle. Um, yeah, I was hearing a few hot takes about you know this whole peace, love, and brown rice, and you know power to the people type of thing. And I was like, oh. yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I think what a lot of people sort of forgot to remember that Aquarius is a fixed air sign and when we so we've got you know the idea of fixed like being rigid uh, immovable stubborn you know uh, and air and we've got this idea of ideology is a very big thing in the sort of zeitgeist right now and so um 
you know, Aquarius is with Pluto in Aquarius, it's very much this is what you have to think to fit in the group. Mm. This is what you have to say so you're not rejected from the group. Um, and this is what you're going to believe and this is what you're going to say online or not on say online. This is going to be the, the truth as we dictate it to be. So cancel and- culture. Correct. Yeah, it's a total um, example, you know, one of the many sort of astrological examples we can think about that. And so um, astrological signatures take the form of many different angles, um, you know, to the very positive and, you know, the peace, love and brown rice to the extreme opposite end of that spectrum. And so, yes, I really do feel at some point there will be that power to the people. But sometimes you see this on the personal level, the hard part about dealing with the Pluto transit, and this is sort of what we're dealing on the collective level, is that some people haven't been ready to have their paradigm of what they thought was true and what they were taught and told to be shattered first Mm. because a lot of people oh Pluto transformation you know that's great but in order to transform something the alchemical process of that is that you've got to like melt it down or break it down separate the elements of that thing and then rebuild it Mm. Um, and that idea of the separation and the pulling apart, uh, it's a place of vulnerability. Um, And when we're looking at that on a more of a collective scale, uh, some people, you know, don't have the ability to think outside the box, which is what Pluto in Aquarius as a sign is very renowned for. Um, They see through that, uh, the, the Capricorn lens of uh, this corporate job is, is the the way forward and this is what's going to pay my bills or fund my retirement. And then that we're in this, you know, sort of shifting into this new paradigm of having to understand that what we have been taught and told, you know, the baby boomer pathway that they were able to take will not be available to us moving forward. So we have to sort of change and innovate and reinvigor and reawaken our own life. But before we can do that, we have to have that that sliding doors moment where we have to make a choice, you know, that sort of fork in the road type of situation where, uh, you know, that can either be a choice or it can be forced upon you. And when people harp on about change and transformation, about Pluto, what they often forget to, it's half the picture. It's not the full picture. And when you have a Pluto experience, it's not pleasant. It's not, it's not like tiptoeing through the tulips. It's being initiated into some traumatic experience that forces the change, forces the transformation. The only way through hell is to keep walking type of situation. And collectively, the last three years have pretty much brought us into that initiation point of, okay, we're in something different. We're in something new. Um, The structures of the Pluto and Capricorn um, are fundamentally broken and some people are 
aware of that. Some people are not aware of that. Some people are something doesn't feel quite right with what's going on and 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 not aware of that um, or, you know, on the fence about things. And so this is kind of like a great awakening, but sometimes when we have that awakening, we don't always like what we see. Mm-mm. No, so, I actually, I agree with you. And I say that to clients all the time. And I, Pluto is tough. And if you don't, as an aside, as a consulting astrologer, I get annoyed when I find that astrologers, other astrologers don't want to be real about how painful a Pluto cycle will be. I'm sorry, they just are. There's no tiptoeing around it, as you say. And, you know, those who just like, well, it could be really tough. No, no, it will suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't don't think you're going to be uh, you're going to the bowels of hell and back again <laughs> and, and beyond. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, but you will um, come back different. You will come back different. So, so let's get into this idea of the of of feudalism. One thing I wanted to say, based on on this brilliant insight you've just shared with everyone about the way that Pluto, um, you know, I haven't heard that before, where we're talking about how this Pluto and Aquarius moment actually forces us to pay close attention to when that door will slide open that we can say, okay, it's all crushed around me. Now I'm going to step through. I've actually been thinking a lot about this. This is going to really annoy. This is going to upset some people, but I'm going to say it. I really think that people who are clinging to identity politics are already in the past because what you've just described is a world where identity politics aren't going to matter. It's just, you're not going to be able to get by by claiming a, a mantle of some kind. And that's all of it. Now, what that implies for me is that means you got to get over your trauma, which is where we are right now in this world of trauma-informed everything. Everybody has been violated in some way. Which is very much a Pluto experience, you know, violation, betrayal, um, you know, remember those kind of movies from the 90s, you know, the, I forget what that's called, you know, the gangster's paradise type of thing. It was like this idea of in order to get into a tribe or into a gang, you had to do something like an initiation process. And of course, you know, different cultures and religions of the world, you have to do some type of initiation to be part of the club or part of the tribe. And that's what I you know, lean into with the idea of that Pluto gives you uh, some kind of rite of passage that's an initiation, but it isn't a pleasant experience. Mm-mm. And no, we've I'm had not- our violation of our unpleasant experience, right? The pandemic, which was a very top-down, mm-hmm. orchestrated, planned, uh, all the Pluto and Capricorn signatures behind that um, to initiate us into this process of reawakening which is the Pluto and Aquarius piece and and yeah and and that's where I have started to kind of nibble around the edges of look I'm sorry if it upsets people that other people you don't want to agree have suffered have also suffered but we've all suffered so if we've all suffered then none of us is special in our suffering we have to face having been made to suffer And what meaning are we going to derive from that so that we can carry the meaning through that slip in time that you're talking about and then start over? That's where the structures become more meaningful in the future because that's the uncharted. And that's really the point of of astrology is to show us this is where you've been. This is what's coming. How are you going to meet it? 
And if you're constantly looking at the future by clinging to the past rather than being informed by the past, then you're going to get stuck in the past. Does that make sense? Totally. So feudalism, that's where you think we're headed. (laughs) Tell us. Well, maybe some kind of uh, neo version of that. The idea of, I'm really big into metaphysics and this is, I think, where I feel a little bit um, ostracized from much of what the zeitgeist in astrology has been the last few years because we work with linear time mm-hmm. as astrologers, you know, mm-hmm. circular time, uh, timelines and cycles, but we are from a culture that believes we kind of went from the cave and we're heading to Mars, you know, on Elon Musk's Teslas, you know, like it's just not going to happen that way, right? Um, And so in order to observe these cycles that we're moving into, it's really important to kind of understand the energy of what happened when we last had similar cycles. And so I think... um, you know, when we had this, you know, I did the whole kind of research piece in the video that I shared on YouTube. And, you know, when I look at the the stages of Pluto and Aquarius that we've had historically, that's kind of where we went uh, for most of the time is this sort of, um, uh, you know, feudalistic type of, of period of time. And, you know, I guess I sort of did release that video to be sort of slightly controversial, but more from the standpoint of people to think about these cycles differently and um, and that Aquarius is dogmatic. It's ideological. and It is a fixed sign, as you pointed out. Yeah, it's, you know. And it's and there, air, so it's fixed thinking. That's it. And the level of, I saw this a lot, uh, even sort of pre-pandemic was a lot of self-censoring because people didn't want to offend. People didn't want to say what they really felt because they didn't want to, um, you know, social media sort of became a very sort of vitriolic place. And rather than being this sort of period of uh, sharing and ideas and rich discussions, sort of got this kind of cancel culture thing about it like you have to believe what the thing is or you're out um and people sort of really bought into that hook line and sinker and couldn't see some of the strings that were in play and how they were feeding into that energy of what was going on from both the um, left and right I should point out at least here in the oh. state yeah, I don't know in the yeah. Australia, but it's definitely it's just a game that's getting played. It's not it's not a partisan yeah. game. It's a game across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, timelines have really sped up in the last couple of years. And what used to happen in the US, the ripple effect across the Pacific was kind of slow, but now it's not like that because of just the that dissemination of information that the internet provides. You know, Pluto going into an air sign now and we're also in that air triplicity and we can touch on that in a minute you know the this is an inevitable process right that 
decentralization of power is inevitable. We saw this too throughout COVID. You know, everyone, everyone in America actually laughs at me when I say this, but I'll explain. So here we would say everyone goes into the CBD, which is the central business district, but for you guys it'd be downtown. So everyone go downtown in their office jobs, you know, their literal sort of Capricorn earth big structure towers, then they drive back home and then all of a sudden, oh, people don't have to commute anymore. They can do, obviously this isn't the case for everyone, but, you know, people could work online. And so um, the decentralization of labor also took place there. And so this is kind of an inevitable thing that's going to occur. We know that as astrologers, we can see that, but those in the halls of power don't want to relinquish this. And if it is going to be the way forward, they still want to control it, coming back to the idea of fixed air. like We want to control how that information gets out there. We want to control what that information is, and that's kind of the the new, um, you know, it's the propaganda machine has uh massive potential now so um yeah I mean it's the more negative tone of what's happening um but tell me I'm wrong like it's it's literally this you can't share news reports on Facebook anymore you know what I mean um uh, people you know the president of the United States got cancelled from social media I mean like what is that if that's not trying to control outcomes, trying to control what people know um, or what the information they have access to. And that's always been a factor. I mean, media, multimedia through sort of the 1950s magazines and uh, newspapers and all of that uh, definitely did it too. But the, the swiftness and the dissemination, um, like I can just pick up a device on the phone and message someone across the world in an instant. That's mm-hmm. unfathomable speed and, um, you know, the ability to share information is would must be so scary to those who are trying to control the world right now. I want to pick up on what you just said about the American president being cancelled on social media. And I, I think without getting into the actual political discourse that that would generate, and I'm sure I could just hear the err come out of all of the. <laughs> mouths of my American audience. What that's a great example of is just um, the unthinkable happening. You know, like regardless of why it happened, doesn't matter. It's just that something like that happened at all is like a head of a king being chopped off. It totally, except instead of a head on the spike at the gates of the city, you are basically, your head is uh, chopped off online, so to speak, you know. Um, And, you know, all those people who cheered that, I'm like, oh, that could happen to you. If it could happen to him, it could literally happen to anybody. Yeah. Is it just like as a, a symbol of the power of Pluto and Aquarius? That's 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 a good one, whether you whatever your uh, yeah. political persuasion is. So yeah. yeah. And I think that's important for people to step back and understand is stop seeing it through the lenses of politics what's happening to the world right now and see it instead through the lens of power because power is apolitical power doesn't give a shit about your political registration card you know your voter registration card it doesn't care power is power 
politics are, are just the particular conduit that you've chosen to flow your power through. But power is power. Power does not care. So here we are then at this place where power is shifting. It's shifting the way it flows. That's the takeaway from this part of the conversation. You're suggesting it's going into a feudalistic um, stage, but you're also what I hear you saying is it won't necessarily stay there, but that will be the where that that will be the construct that um, allows us to actually have that alchemical change that you're talking about. Is that an actual? I mean, am I getting that right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about uh, the last time we had this transition from Pluto in Capricorn to Aquarius was seventeen. 77 maybe um and i'm sure many americans will remember what that's all about uh in the sense of um yeah yeah, exactly getting your independence from what at the time was the main sort of global power structure and that was the british empire um and you know now we're in this new phase of um you know different empires you know forming breaking up and what have you and so, you know, when, uh, again, the, the British Empire at the time sort of wanted everything, um, the taxes, uh, the land, all of that sort of stuff. And the same sort of happened too with um, Spain and uh, the, the South American nations as well. You know, the Spanish king was just wanting too much. And we are having that right now with just the bigness, again, Pluto making things really big. Capricorn being about sort of corporations and uh, business and sort of, you know, capitalism is so big and it gets so big, it gets so fat, <laughs> it just wants it all. And that's just kind of the uh, the gasps of dying empire. It just goes for the one last, uh, you know, to take all the cream off the top. Historically, that's kind of what happens. And instead of kind of dealing with matters that are real, real for people, which is what Pluto and Aquarius does eventually promise. We are distracted by uh, things that are important, but not more important than people's ability to keep a roof over their head and eat. Um, And so the loss of, you know, when power gets so fat, you know, that Pluto in uh, Capricorn it's lost sight of what Capricorn actually is, which is a provider. It is an earth-based uh, yin sign. So it is stable. It's supportive. Um, it is structure and it is a container for m- material uh, abundance, so to speak. But that's just been blown out of this massive proportion for um uh, uh, you know, the 1%, you know, as it's known mm-hmm. as, and the 99%, um, not so much. And so that's kind of, um, you know, that idea of of the feudalism and that the rules apply for some and not for others. And, you know, has that ever really changed? Well, not really. You know, you're born and you know, you, whoever consented to being taxed, whoever consented, it was born and consented to being governed. So, you know, you could kind of go there with the philosophy of it all. But, you know, there is that, you know, feudalism is very much a top down type of 
power structure as opposed to other forms of power structure where you might have you know smaller nations or smaller cities like if you think whether it's uh, your native americans or various tribes you know throughout the world in different periods of uh, history you'd have your tribal leaders with the people you know right. on that sort of horizontal uh power base that eat with the people hunt with the people you know all of those sorts of things um and pluto and aquarius you know holds the promise of getting to some obviously you know not to the same extent although there's plenty of people that just want to you know homestead on massive places and things like that but um it is a little bit less of a a top-down power dynamic and more of a horizontal spreading of power. So we, you know, the American nation may not have this big uh, DC constitutional power structure anymore. You might find some states divorced from that main power structure. That's a possibility of how that can uh, mm-hmm. play out maybe some n- nations who are involved with NATO decide to separate mm-hmm. you know who's going to be friends with who during right. this phase of dissemination will be a very interesting thing to observe I just want to say that the reason why I think in my own observations that we really never left this kind of feudalism from you know back in the late 1700s was because we still have maybe we should talk about what astrologers call the great mutation, because what we've done is we've been, um, we've structured our politics and our economies on taking things out of the earth. And, and so the paradigm has been one of domination, which is why I say, look, you can call it capitalism, you can call it feudalism, it doesn't matter. It's been domination. That's really been the, the energy. And that is what I'm curious to see how the next 20 years um, shifts. And, and I, I want to get to actually my thoughts on how that plays out through the individual. But but yeah, I mean, maybe I, I would like to defer to you to describe what the great mutation is. The mutation is exactly how it sounds. It's sort of a period of time where things ebb and flow and shift and change. And so in some respects, we've sort of been in this period of time since around 1981. Um, and we've been in this kind of t- back and forth, back and forth uh, from the element of air back into the element of earth. Now, what happened? So we had what happened in 1981 was the conjunction of two planets, Jupiter and Saturn, uh, in the sign of Libra. And in many uh, ideas around mundane astrology, uh, it's the cycles of Jupiter and Saturn that come together every 20 years. Uh, and they sort of speak to a you know a couple of decades of okay we're with this flavor, and so for the last two hundred or so years we've had these conjunctions in Earth signs, okay, which pretty much aligns with sort of the the timeline of America's inception, um, and or as we you know sort of know it uh, from the Declaration of Independence and from England. So we've had these muta- uh, these conjunctions in Earth. Then we had air in 1981. Then we had Earth in 2000. And then at the end of 2020, we went back into air. And then we're in this period of uh, 
conjunctions between Jupiter and Saturn will happen every 20 years, but will only happen in air signs. Mm -hmm. And so we've had that sort of mutation period. And now we're kind of in this last sort of uh, hurrah of Earth with this, these Pluto in a, is going in, it's been in Capricorn, went into Aquarius from March to June this year. It's back into Capricorn for the rest of this year, back into Aquarius for a bulk of 2024. I think it's from September to October, maybe. It has made a very brief dip, maybe it's December, a very brief dip back into Capricorn for one last hurrah in Earth. And then basically, I think it's uh, January. Yeah, December maybe. Um, I'd have to double check. Then we're we're fully into that air element, and because these are such big brushstrokes of astrology, it's not like we wake up one day and then all of a sudden everything's different. It's a period of time that kind of mutates. Uh, yeah. So it's November twenty. Uh, next year we have. Yeah, um, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Aquarius. So yeah, you know we're we we kind of really at that last gasps gasps of a two hundred year Earth era. Well, and we should explain. You know, you also mentioned triplicity, so maybe this is a good point to um to get into that. So what we're talking about when we say mutation is a a shift, a change, a um a morphing out of an Earth based anything, an earth-based experience. So with the earth, that would mean um, our economies, our politics and so forth are going to be based on moving things out of the earth, using the earth, pushing the earth around, earthiness, earth, earth, earth. And we're changing from things being uh, tangible in our hands to um, to things being in, in the air, you know, like yeah. in the mind. So information, things you can't see, but things that are still real. Yeah, it's really interesting. And a big part of Pluto being about wealth, um, it's how that wealth is extracted, derived, uh, obtained, accumulated. Um, so moving from sort of the earth to the air, you know, it's like, data is the new oil so yeah it's that's yeah that's sort of the, you know the new commodity is you know what's her browsing history you know it sort of thing so um yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 that you know the selling of your uh sort of soul to the digital uh place and then of course so you know we've traded in coin in, in cash in paper for uh thousands of years and you know we've slowly morphed through electronic transactions increasingly so over the last 20 years um and now there are places uh, it's it's harder to obtain cash than it ever has been um as we sort of move into this um you know digital with you know crypto blockchain cbdc's um Triplicity, obviously, it's we're talking about threes. So as Jupiter and Saturn come together, it will only be happening in the three signs that are air signs, Aquarius, Gemini, and uh, Libra. Libra, yeah. And, you know, we're not going to live through none of us. Well, who knows what the technology will bring. But as we stand here now, we're, none of us is going to live through all three of those signs being um seeing these conjunctions but they will each have a different flavor of how uh, that intangibility but yet still real is going to get expressed 
yeah, yeah. And so right now it's the flavor of Aquarius that is the sort of main uh, idea. The next one happens in Libra um, and then the following one will be Gemini 20 years after that. So 20 years' time we'll have Libra, 40 years from now it'll be Gemini. Um, So, yeah, to, you know, uh, assuming you're older than 23 years old, you've lived through a millennial shift um, and we've also lived through a triplicity shift and that not everyone gets to experience that. So when we talk about, you know, may you live in interesting times, I mean, astrologically, this is a pretty good time. Sometimes I think to myself, oh, why? But um, yeah, it's it's a big one, you know. Uh, not everyone gets this type of energy in their lifetime. It's very rare. So that actually is a perfect place to seg into, well, what does this mean for the individual? Because one of my theories as I've been uh, writing for the last five years around these kinds of topics, through these kinds of topics, within these kinds of topics, and I had Pluto on my son when when I began doing all of this. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a very different thinker than I was 10 years ago as a result, I think, I, or you could say, I think the same things more deeply, but I actually think I see things more differently than I would have had I not had that experience. And not everyone, because Pluto does take about 250 years to go around the sun, not everyone will actually experience Pluto on their sun. That's not everybody gets that. They'll have some kind of contact um, of, of an angle, you know, we're just speaking in orbits here so we're speaking always in 360 degrees and then you know is the angle 60 degrees 120 degrees 180 degrees whatever but not everyone gets right on top of it so I was a lucky person who got born at a time where she was going to end up with her son just being raked by the powers of Pluto and one of the fruits of that um tilling was that I started to actually conceive of this idea that humanity is not actually turning out the way it was intended, whoever intended it, like whatever the source was. And so I'm wondering if Pluto in Aquarius is actually this kind of corrective measure where we're going to have the opportunity to reclaim what it really does mean to be human. And this is where, um, so you put yourself out there as being somebody who went against the grain in the astrological field by saying, you know, hang on, I'm not so sure about this peace, love, and what'd you say, brown rice? <laughs> I say, I'm not so sure that um, that we're all that and a bag of chips. I'm still really parsing this through in my own mind, but I think humans were interfered with from someplace else. I really do think that humanity took a wrong turn and it wasn't because that was what we were going to do. Somebody, something, some outside intelligence, some force, some what I'm saying is extraterrestrial kind of influence um, had there's there, there was an inflection point and I, you know, I won't get into all of the things cause I don't know. I don't know. But I think what's going to happen in Pluto and Aquarius is we're going to start understanding that kind of, all right, we've gone super, super deep into the micro. Now we're going to have to really, as you already alluded to explode out into understanding that there are so many fractal types of ways that we can interact with the universe and have already been interacted with from the universe. So one of the reasons why I say this is just because my observations as a reporter, as somebody who used to be in Washington, DC and have to interact with all of these people is there's an awful lot of weird behavior around whether or not we've actually had 
alien contact. I, I think that they're hiding something, but I always think that they're hiding something because I know that they're always hiding something because that's been a, that's been a feature of this top down um, earthy capitalistic paradigm is there's always something happening in secret. Power is always being maneuvered in secret. So that's where I'm coming at with that. That's my, um, make that maybe that's my iconoclasm, but I just think in the next 20 years, I'm going to be proven to not be crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've walked those halls of power. Uh, so you, you get it right. Um, whereas for most of us, we just have those feelings or suspicions, right? So you've kind of been up close and personal. One thing that was really interesting, um, you know, I think Pluto and Aquarius is definitely going to bring a the idea of non-human intelligence is going to become, I hate this word, but normalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really started in the, and it was a, a start, but an unawares start for many in 2019 when we had the conjunction of uh, Saturn was in Capricorn and the South Node. And the idea was awakening the ghosts and the idea of the restless dead. And I thought about this for such a long time. Um, yeah, this is great. Had- I haven't heard anybody talk about this. Please explain. <laughs> and 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 so for for those who don't know what the South Node is, um, oh gosh, it's how do you, how do you say the South Node in a? Well, it's not a planet. Yeah. But it is it is a uh, it is a really powerful point. Oh golly! So the Moon and in its orbit around Earth crosses the plane that we would say the sun is actually coming around the earth but obviously we know that we are a heliocentric solar system but there is a point in um, primary motion where the moon and the sun cross twice above the ecliptic and then below it those are the nodes and those are powerful points to astrologers because it's where things come and go it's kind of like where the cosmic tide flows in and flows out and yet the south node is where things are flowing out and so really what this felt like, um, I don't, when I say this, I don't necessarily mean in political terms because I know that this is often used in that, but it was really like a, a dredging the swamp type of um, energy. Which is fascinating because that is the language that was being used constantly here in the US. I don't know if you were aware of that, but when... Like draining the swamp or something yeah. like that they talk about? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It, was sim- it was that era that you're talking about. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was this energy of kind of draining, uh, draining the swamp or dredging it. And so you know, cleaning out the dead wood or cleaning out the ghosts or things that have been hidden and buried. And we had a lot of that. And some of that is still going on. I think one of the big, um, I, I, my timeline could be a little bit off, but I think that was when it, I think it was in Canada where there was the discovery of uh, human remains of kids under churches and, or schools or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, some of the, the pain points of colonialism was really coming out, up and out. And, you know, that, that sort of 250-year earth 
element that we sort of have been talking about. And I really thought about this a lot from a spiritual perspective where, uh, not to knock Christianity because I don't, but there we came from an era of lineages where the dead were revered and honoured. Um, you know, ancestor reverence was a big part of culture. And then in our modern West, you know, and Australia is basically the byproduct of your divorce from England. <laughs> so as a part of that, you know, we, we we share that similar history. And so all the wrongful deaths, all the wrongful thefts, all the wrongful burials, um, we went into this phase of you don't speak of the dead. We go from setting a place at the table for them, you know, at significant dates of the year to dressing in black and never speaking of them from a religious cultural standpoint. Obviously not now, but, you know, um, know, as little as 50, 60, 70 years ago, we, we didn't speak of the dead. And so I think they the restless dead awakened in 2019 mm. Um, mm. and sort of set the tone for healing, mm. set that tone for the, uh, you know, and oftentimes healing is a process and you have to get worse before you get better. And I think in some ways that's where we are collectively, the healing, uh, the pain has to come out. You know, like when you're a teenager and you have those blind pimples. Oh, my God, they're so painful. <laughs> and then, you know, you know it's building, you know it's building, yeah. and then finally, like, it, it doesn't stay. That's sort of like the mutation period. <laughs> it's like a blind pimple. And, um, you know, and I think that it's this kind of energy that we're working through, Yeah, this collective trauma that's, gone so um you know really ignored for way too long and then it got to that tipping point where you could not hide or could you know individuals could not not deal with you know the things that had happened maybe to them to their family to their their ancestral lineages and so when we start tapping into that idea tapping into those kind of concepts you are kind of already tapping into non-human intelligences, right? Um, Whether it is our ancestral lineages, whether it's spiritual lineages, um, you know, saints, angels, past people, uh, and and even non-human entities from other places. Well, I guess... Um, Maybe is it non-human or is it non-embodied or both or maybe a mix of, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's all of the above, all of the above. Um, And that's been known for, culturally known for forever. Yeah. Um, But it's been suppressed, um, you know, quite a lot. It had to be suppressed. You know, one of my theories too, and longtime listeners know that I think this and readers and so forth. I believe that the Romanization of the world was um, punitive. It was this punitive approach to anything that didn't allow them to be um, in the ascendant, you know, and, and I have theorized that Rome got its information on how this is kind of this idea that enslavement was taught to us by something else, because there wasn't this attitude of empire and enslavement on the planet until 
suddenly there was. It did precede Rome, but Rome really made it work. And yeah. that, that relentlessness of nothing else but what we tell you is true, which is what I'm saying is, is that you're saying we, we, that went away. There used to be a consciousness of, uh, like you said, it's been known that there are other intelligences, but that, that had to be wiped out for the status quo to remain in place. And the status quo was brought to us really efficiently by the monopolizing and the um, the gobbling of the Roman Empire paradigm. Totally, totally. And so um, so that, yeah, yeah, I think it's a very good point that is could quite possibly be that that transition point between um, what was once known and understood, uh, the sort of with the, the embodied humans and then the non-embodied intelligences and, yeah, Rome sort of creating this very uh, you know, patriarchal style of um, militarised, overtaking in a sense and so basically sort of I think what we've sort of done for the the 2000 years since then is just this it's just been this circular movement between east and west east and west east and west um to, to where that system and that structure goes uh will this um Pluto in Aquarius be the the secret source to get us out of that I don't know. Um, I have a few other thoughts on that, but um, I think a lot of people will point to Pluto and Aquarius because it is the last planet. It's a it's a big. We don't see uh, Pluto in Aquarius. Oh, sorry, we don't see um, Pluto sign changes often. So it's kind of like, oh, this has to be the thing. But I do think it's a little bit more. Uh, a little bit. It's a part of the story. I don't think it's the entire story. That being said, though, you can't help but almost laugh at the textbook of, uh, I think it's the Pentagon for you guys releasing these (laughs) UFO sightings or what have you. It's almost like this predictive programming that they're kind of letting you know that we know something, but we're kind of not going to say that neither. So it's sort of satisfying the curiosity like before social media, like celebrities would give you tidbits of, of their life or tidbits of gossip so to keep the paparazzi at bay. Sort of the same thing, right, but with the government. So, um, yeah, I really do think that we will move into a, a place and a stage where communication with these different entities, if if that's the correct term, will become uh, the norm. Or people, because, you know, people who could do that were basically classified as schizophrenic and locked in a a mental asylum. Mm -hmm. That's how they were dealt with, right? (laughs) Whereas now uh, there's a little bit more um, acceptance for, you know, we call it mental health. And in some ways, I mean, you're obviously someone to speak to this more, but I think a lot of what people experience Yes, there can be the the material style of living that's kind of that, as you said, is it causation, correlation. But I also think a part of this collective energy that we're in is that we are so far removed from connection to other 
intelligences. Mm-hmm. If you right. think for men, you know, for millennia, we would walk the forests. We would live at at one with the land, and we would see things from, you know, dare I say, a, a paganistic or a more animist viewpoint, where um, non-human things were still seen as a a living entity, even though it may not have drawn breath in the same way that we do. And um, that sort of age of enlightenment kind of destroyed that for us a little bit, I think, with the sort of last time Pluto was in Aquarius where everything got really rational. I don't know if we'll get there this time. I'm sort of hedging my bets for a little bit more uh, Pluto and Pisces in 20 years' time, but I think we will gradually it's a build-up it's not just okay one door closes another opens and everything's different but I think we'll we'll gradually move to that point and then sort of the Pluto and Pisces might sort of bring that uh the fantasy and the surrealness of that type of energy and it becoming more merged with with things whereas I think now it's going to be a little bit sort of the, the Aquarius skeptic or the logical side, that's not real, um, you know, that can't be proven, uh, that's not science or, you know, what have yeah. you. And, of course, the more yeah. we get told, you know, trust the science or that's not what the experts say, people will naturally gravitate to more magical ideas and concepts. Well, it's happening already. I mean, totally. It's almost like scientists are pushing each other out of the way to be able to say, oh, but science explains spirituality too. And, and spirituality is more important than we ever thought. I mean, I actually made a list the other day of all of these titles. And I just thought, oh, well, welcome to the party. And you're late to it, by the way. Oh, I have a big eye roll when I see someone who, if they're in what you'd call in America functional health or somebody who is maybe in a metaphysical um modality and they go oh and science shows now and I'm like but you already knew that you didn't need some sort of peer-reviewed you know sponsored uh, study to tell you that's the truth we already knew that like how do you think these pharmaceutical corporations got the drugs in the first place how did they know that willow and aspirin i think it's willow bark and aspirin you know like out of the willow bark Uh, yeah yeah, that's it yeah so uh yeah it's sort of this um uh the eradication of some knowledge and then rebuilding it and packaging it as their own. And so now I think that's the the knowledge and the power, like so to get it back to the individual, the, the empowerment will come from, mm, yeah, nah, I'm going to go in that direction. If you tell me to do that, like I'm going to go that way. Um, well, it's exactly that. It's what they've done. And this is the function of this whole top down, all of the things that we've already described in terms of um, universal phenomena is the replacement of observational data, which is what astrology is founded on Mm. thousands of years of of observation and seeing that when these two things happen, this also happens. So when these things, you know, so above, so as above, so below. So what we've done and what we've experienced as humans on the planet is we've gone from observational data, direct interaction with the world around us as a way to learn what is true, 
and having instead placed on top of us, top down clinical data. We did the study, we created the terms, we're telling you what's true. I understand clinical data. I had to for my career. I know how to work with it. And there are some things that are irrefutably valid and useful, but it's not, it's relative. And you set the terms with it. You are starting by creating the little universe that you're going to measure. Observational data is more real, in my opinion, even though we've tried to say that it's less real, but it's more real because it's actually the most practical. Because if you've observed it, you know you can live by it. And you can be the one to change according to how you've been acted on and and noticed. This is why being conscious of things is so important. And this ultimately is why I become hopeful about what's going on with uh, the the times, you know, that what you've already enumerated are really eventful and interesting. But we have this opportunity to reclaim our own powers of observation, which is just my, you know, that's my drumbeat. Yeah, uh, I'm preaching to the choir like you really sort of see this already like when there is um you know people already turning to uh you know magical type of uh modalities um you know when power gets so tight um whether it's you know you want to call it feudalism capitalism you know whatever the thing is wherever power structures get too tight what I love about that cycle is that really rich subcultures emerge out of that. You know, the people who are on the fringes, the people who are the outcasts, the people who, um, you know, whether it is the kind of, you know, crazy old woman at the outskirts of town who's got the magic medicine to, you know, heal when no other person could do that, right? So you sort of get those archetypes come up and through um, when the, the structure or the systems fail, which they are, um, and that's why the the censorship, the, the laws that are coming in, all of that sort of stuff is just the, the basically the result of a gasps of, of a dying empire. And then, you know, you have this dissemination of, of magic, of innovation, of mm. new new ways of trading, new ways of communicating, new ways of sort of surviving in the world. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of what we have to look forward to in this. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking, all right, well, how will we wrap this up? And I was thinking, let's just make a few predictions. Um, and I guess we could even just be general like that. I mean, I'm, I say as an astrologer, as just somebody who, as somebody who's lived the life she's lived and the career that she's had, I would say back to my idea that um, trauma will not make you special. That, yeah, I mean, and, and I don't mean that lightly because everybody is, who feels trauma is in pain and that is no joke. But the pain will not make you somehow more, um, more special, more human, more anything than anyone else, that in fact, that's where we're headed is where we all realize the actual human experience has been a painful one, Mm. which I hope will generate kindness. Because I really do think that kindness is an actual, it's an ungulant, but it's also, it's, it's, it's also a space maker. When you're kind, it just kind of like, it stops that relentlessness of the Roman perspective of, constantly move forward, constantly grind, constantly blah, 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 blah. When you're kind, you can just stop for a second. And mm. that's really what I'm hoping this, this 
emphasis on trauma brings is, is, is an actual like, oh, let's just take a pause. Let's just breathe. Yeah. And then when you stop and you breathe, you see better, you have more options. So that's my one, one prediction. And my second one is that from that will come things we have yet to imagine because we haven't given ourselves the space for the imagination to, to uh, take energy and shape it. Mm. Interesting. I like it. Uh, for me, I often, um, I try I'm really into sort of ancient times and I try and think what it would be like for our ancestors who have survived you know, wars, famines, changing of the guard and things like that. And um, and I think what Pluto in Aquarius can bring is a new kind of survival mm. that is um, more intuitive um it's more innovative and it's more uh about prosperity rather than profit mm -hmm. and i think that was one of the kind of main inspirations around you know the original feudalism talk is that what made communities tribes thrive were were strong leaders were uh, people who were at the same level as everybody else, not those walled up in ivory towers um, sort of dictating the terms of your existence. Um, whereas when Pluto's in, a, in Aquarius, there's that, I don't want to use the word egalitarian because that's not right, but it's like we get to go to a more level playing field. Um that, you know, to play on your idea of trauma, which is, you know, can be very much a Pluto thing, it would be like, well, at some point, it reminds me of when I was in my sort of mid-20s and I was working with some women that were doing this particular program in um, sort of therapeutic counselling that was really I don't know, like method acting of, of trauma healing or something like that. And it got to that point where I remember thinking, when do you just get over it? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. at some point, yeah, some shit happened to you and that's really not, yeah, that sucks. But are you going to let that define the rest of your life? And I think we get to that point where that Aquarian detachment Mm -hmm. That detachment from identity, that detachment from, uh, you know, that concept where it's like, hey, we're we're all human. We're all trying to sort of, you know, we share more similarities than we do differences. And I think we've sort of focused on the differences for too long, which is also a very uh, intentional political ploy. Yeah. But when yeah. power power comes from the people, when you recognize it's not us against each other, but it's us against those systems, those structures, and you know what? We can create our own, whether right. that is our own communities, our own little tribes, or whether that is uh, ways of thinking that are individual, unique, outside of the box, and changing paradigms of 
of your own life and of your own self rather than staying in the stagnancy of trauma going how has that trauma shaped me and made me stronger and use that as a tool for healing and empowerment as a rather than walking through life with an open wound and bleeding over everybody who never cut you like that doesn't get you anywhere it just makes you angry and resentful of the world and um rather than being more engaged in that collective human experience the the stagnancy of the trauma is brilliant because well I guess I would sum it up this way freedom to be free has to be dynamic yeah And, and what you've just described is the potential I see in Pluto and Aquarius opening up into, yeah, and then comes Pisces, which will be about universal love, among many things. Mm -hmm. But that idea that, um, you know, the structures that free us by giving us something to put structure around the chaos of the universe, the seeming chaos, I think it's a lot less random than we've been led to believe, but the structures that we use to move forward eventually become our prisons, exploring, owning, understanding our trauma has to give way to what you've already described. Otherwise it becomes a prison. Yeah. Freedom that is not allowed to be dynamic becomes a prison. Agreed. What a terrific conversation. It it even exceeded my expectations. So. Well, thank you. (laughs) I took so many notes. I feel like we've never even touched the surface. I know we really didn't, but we, but isn't that the wonder wonderful part about being prepared is is that you can then be spontaneous yeah well I mean Pluto in Aquarius I feel like we had a deep conversation (laughs) yeah I mean there's so much more to you know these upcoming years as well that we sort of intended to explore but didn't quite get there so hopefully everyone feels like they've got some something to chew on for a little while with this well, and the the other thing we could say is, is that we'll, we'll we'll be back. We could continue this conversation in another few months. Yeah, hundred percent. That'd be great. Well, Cassandra, I I'm very grateful, and thank you for staying up. And I got up really early because you're in you're in Brisbane, and I'm in Missoula, Montana. So this was this was this was a very Pluto and Aquarius conversation. Oh, there's probably only about seventeen hours between us. <laughs> Not much. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, and it was my pleasure to actually meet you in this Aquarian way over the internet. But it was just, I've had you as a teacher before in classes, but I never actually got to speak with you like this. And it's just been a pleasure. I I really admire your work. And I'm so delighted to be able to bring you to my audience. Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. All right. Well, that does it for this episode, this co-production of the Documental Mapping the American States of Mind podcast and News from the Ensouled Universe. I'm Whitney McKnight in Missoula, Montana. Thank you all for listening.